outside is frightful. Do you know why I'm imitating Kevin? And oh, so delightful. And when we know a place to go. No, close. <laughs> let us know. Oh. <laughs> let us know. Let us know. That's my Dean Martin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dean? Hey? Oh, my, my uncle. Right? Your uncle, Dean Martin. <laughs> Hi again, everybody. Merry Christmas, baby. Yeah. I love Christmas. We finally get to say that. I think it's okay now. We're well into December. Welcome to another episode of Inside Curling. Uh, this this might be our first December show, you know, a Christmas show. As usual, we got our two World Curling Hall of Famers, the one and only Warren Hansen and the one and only Kevin Martin. What 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 year did you get inducted, Warren, into the World Curling Hall of Fame? 2016. Oh God, I was waiting for like a 2049 or a 1949 or something. <laughs> uh, I kid, I kid. Lots, lots, lots on the show today to talk about. We got our in-house is our guest spot. I'm gonna maybe I'll even leave that and surprise you. But he's a he's a great guest. We've had him on before. What's happening around the curling world? There was an event in uh, Penticton that we're going to talk about. Canadian Seniors event in Vernon. Uh, an event in Japan. The looks like the Kaozawa International with four of the best teams in the world, including three from Canada. Uh, we got a mixed doubles event in Winnipeg. Hot Rock Topics. Going to go right to the emails. We got a couple of them we'll try and get to. And what are they hearing? Botchers blanking ends. People think it's boring. Maybe. Is it? Botcher gets clipped by the Glenn Howard team, but no Glenn Howard. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we'll have to find out about that. That and much more. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. It's great to have you on board, and Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, it's time for our guest spot in the house. It's brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling's Impact Brooms. Maximize performance for carry, hold, and carve. Learn more at Goldline Curling. Dot com. Well, if you like nice and skilled and talented and engaging and approachable and a guy who eats all his peas, okay, you're going you're gonna to like our next guest. And uh, we are very pleased to be joined. I'm, I'm afraid that this guy may take one of your spots one day, you guys, as a co-host. Because there's no way they could do it without me. (laughs) (laughs) Might be next week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm killing me here. I'm killing me. Hey, Mark Kennedy, come on in. There it is. I thought it was Christmas killers. It's Mark Kennedy joining us. How are you, MK? What's going on, brother? I'm good, fellas. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to have you. Uh, Let's go to the elephant in the room. Okay, right away. Uh Oh, what's that? I understand now that you had a loss in Penticton, that uh, the team is disbanding. Botcher's going to go play tennis. You're out. You're, you're going you're gonna to retire now. Sometimes after losses, you feel like that, eh, Kev? Sometimes <laughs> you're like, man, I'm done with this. That, I didn't realize that was such a big loss. <laughs> How do you guys take it? How do you, when you, when you, you, you lost, you got clipped, as they say, uh, 10 4 to, um, to Glenn Howard with no Glenn Howard and all that? I'm sure people were having a laugh and stuff like that. Is this a win some, lose some, or, or do we need to look at the team a little bit? Hey, we had a good week. Scott and them played great. Once they lost Glenn, I think they found a new gear, and they were pretty motivated young guys. They played fantastic. They did better on the ice conditions than we did. Um, you know, we we know going to Penticton, it's going to be – it's a little different than a Grand Slam event. It's back in a curling club. You're not 
totally sure what you're going to get for ice conditions, rocks, that type of stuff. We had a good week. You know, we battled pretty hard, four and two. Uh, as Kevin would say back in the day, if you're making semis and finals, you're having a pretty good season. And we've pretty much only made semis and finals. So right. we, we can't be disappointed at this point in our year. It's just, uh, hey, guys, great week. Let's have a good week of practice and get ready for the, the big events for us, which are the Grand Slams. So yeah. really pretty, pretty positive experience altogether. Yeah, I should have the dates in front of me. I don't. But, but why don't you walk us through what the one of the best curling teams in the world is going to do between now and the end of January? Oh, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, uh, we have a week in front of us here where we've got some practices um, for um, Brendan and I up in Edmonton, but we are going to get together as a team before Saskatoon. And then obviously the Saskatoon Slam. And then uh, we got about a, a little bit of a break here after Saskatoon before Christmas. I think we're all going to take some time and kind of consider it our mid-season break. Uh, and then we're going to get together right after Christmas and start getting ready for uh, the Lloyd Minster event, the Aztec Safety Challenge, um, and then followed by the Red Deer Slam. And then we've got a pretty big break up until the Briar in March. So we have spent some time kind of looking at what that schedule is going to look like to make sure that we're ready for the second half of the year. Right. Who sets the schedule? I mean, some of it's automatic, you know, the events you're going to play in. Who, set, who sets the schedule when you're not playing with practice times and, and how you guys get together, and et cetera? Uh, you know what? We, we all do. Uh, you know, um, We've all got young families. A couple of us have jobs. There's a lot going on. So uh, really, it's kind of a week by week, you know, what does this look like? But let's make sure we're getting out on the ice as much as we possibly can. So we've done a really good job of planning between events to make sure that we're getting some good, high quality time together. I think that's been the biggest difference for our team this year is just... You know, you are not competing with those best teams in the world if you're not putting in some really good quality practice as a group, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not just going out and throwing 10 rocks up and 10 rocks back or 30 rocks up or 30 rocks back. You know, we're working on line of delivery, release, weight control, communication, strategy, tactics, video. Um, all that stuff is now being planned. And and that's the only way to, as Botch would say, move the needle and keep getting better. So yeah. we try to do it as much as we can as a group, but also respecting that, um, you know, that balancing act with family and kids and work and, and trying to make it all work, but making sure that you're prepared for each and every event. You got to curse the day, uh, Kennedy, when some kid came along and said, look, this is what we're going to have to do now. Okay. Analytics, all this. Okay. 5,000 rocks a week. I mean, you must be going, dude, we used to throw like 30 rocks a week. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's, it's all changed, huh? Well, it has and it hasn't. I mean, you know, when I first started playing with Kevin, I think it was an eye-opener as to what it was like to be a professional curler. That was a big jump for me to to realize, like to watch how much Kevin was throwing and what the expectation was for practice was a, a big eye-opener for me. But as time's gone on, I think it's been important for us older guys like Benny and I now to still be open to learning new things and growing and changing as the game changes. And so we've seen even our own practice and stuff evolve looking for ways to keep getting better because, you know, you get stale in the same stuff and you're only going to be as good as that day and that player. So we've had to change some things and get better. And, you know, now for us, it's not as much about quantity of rocks, to be honest. It's it, it's quality of practice and quality of what we're doing out there. And I've noticed a big difference um, in my own play and my own ability as a teammate. And, you know, we're definitely getting better, but that's, 
you know, a lot of hard work that we're, we've put in and that we're going to continue to try to put in. Good deal. Kev, over to you, man. Hey, thanks, Mark, for coming on. Appreciate it. Uh, I want to go a little different direction here. Lucky to talk to Christy today. Your next event, of course, is the Grand Slam in Saskatoon. And it's going awesome, as expected, of course. It'll be fantastic in Saskatoon. But then your next one, I happen to talk to to Jeff and Caitlin uh, out of Aztec. Um, the Aztec and I think Wild Rose, uh, Rod Wild, of course, great friend of both of us, um, putting on that event. But is your team not, no, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of ambassadors-ish to that event? Um I guess, tell me about the event sure. and, and your involvement. Let's, yeah. let's do that first. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It, it, it came up uh, when we started having talks about them becoming a sponsor of Team Botcher. We sat down with Jeff, Jeff and Caitlin, who have obviously some deep roots in Lloydminster. And we got to talking about the old Wayside Classic and how great it would be to bring some high-quality curling back to Lloydminster. And, yeah, the conversation just went on and on. And we thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to, to maybe bring something back to Lloyd? Um, a big event and combine get some junior clinics in there and see if we can just get some good hype around curling in that area and man Jeff and Caitlin just took the ball and ran with it like crazy so they got a lot of community support um, and from our perspective we decided we we discussed being a little bit of uh, consultants for the event you know if you want to run a top tier event in Canada here's some things that you need to do and um, credit to them. They listened to pretty much everything we said and had a bunch of enthusiasm and excitement and looks like they're going to put one of the best events in the world um, together. They already have. I mean, they've sold out 100% of their tickets. I know they've talked to you and, and got some scoreboards and bumpers and they've got a whole bunch of events planned, including a junior clinic on the Wednesday. And I know they've got a whole bunch of other ideas. So it is super, super exciting. And I think it's going to be one of the best events on tour and uh, yeah, but I know Ben and I are going to be a little bit involved, and so is Brandon and Brett. I know I think Ben might do a few. He might even stream a few games, commentating and that type of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be fantastic. We haven't curled a big event. I know we had a Grand Slam in Lloyd a, a few years ago, but it's going to be nice to be able to go there every year and, and play in something like this. Warren, go ahead. Great, thanks, Mark, for joining us. Let's get to this one. You guys have developed a style of play this year that you're develop that you are blanking a lot of ends. And a lot of comments being made about it. How did you guys uh, get into that approach? I'll tell you what. One of the things I like the most about playing with Brandon is he's, he's a very analytical guy. And he approaches the game a certain way, which is, you know, controlling the scoreboard. There's a guy on your podcast that was probably the best in the world for a long time at controlling the scoreboard. He was really hard to steal the hammer from. And that led to winning a whole lot of games. And one of the things Brendan has going for him is that ability to to make it really difficult to steal a hammer from him. Uh, he's got a real keen instinct as to when to bail, you know, and often looks as a blank end as a success because you've maintained the hammer and, you know, the other team is going to have to push the envelope if they want to steal the hammer from you. So it, it's just, it's a little bit more of a tactical analytical approach. I feel like we take a little bit of heat for it because it, has the, you know, the boring type of curling. But if you've watched our games, rarely is the blank end boring. It's not like somebody's going in the rings and we're just peeling rocks out seven in a row. You know, with the five rock free guard zone and no tick rule, you know, we're having to make some some big double peels, sometimes triples. You know, there's sometimes there's seven or eight rocks in play when you get to skip rocks and we still end up with blanks. So 
it's just a little bit more of a scoreboard management tactical approach. And, and sometimes that type of curling in the long run wins you games. Um, so I, I love it. I've been, I've been craving that for years, to be honest with you. So I, I love that approach. It makes things a lot simpler. And, you know, I'd love to hear Kevin's mindset, but when we played big events, um, whether it be worlds or Olympics or Briars, if every end you play has 10 or 12 rocks in play and every game is, a uh, is tough on the, on the mind and the brain and the, the, the math involved and all of that, by the end of the week, you're exhausted. So sometimes playing events where you have some easy ends and you have some blanks and you, you are able to kind of take it easy on your own brain. Um, it keeps you refreshed in a long week. So I love the approach. It's, it's, uh, it's Brendan's style of play and we're running with it. And Hey, we've had a terrific record this year and we've had a lot of success. So there's definitely something to it. Well, you don't want to hear my uh, advice anymore, Mark, because I'm a commentator now. <laughs> you just want to be entertained. Yeah. <laughs> I want a million rocks in play and angle raises, so I get to go use a telestrator, and I can draw all the arrows and stuff. I get it. Yeah, no. yeah. Isn't the equivalent of telling a curling team not to blank so many, isn't it the equivalent of telling a pro golfer, hey, put it in the bunker once in a while, would you, instead of putting it on the green? We'd like to see some action. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, once we start making the salaries of golfers, maybe we can worry more about the entertainment side of things than we can about the winning side of things. You know what I mean? Yes. You know what I mean, though? It's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you're watching social media. You know all the comments that are going on out there, and it's uh, it's interesting to to see what people's expectations are or whatever it is. It's like the, it's like the people that want to watch the teams that are – 12th and 14th and 15th in the world are, are lower saying, well, we want to see new teams. Yeah, but they're not the best. So it is uh, interesting comments as to, and interesting, are other people going to start playing in a similar way, do you think, that from when you guys are? Uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe. I think with the analytics out there and the video analysis and stuff, you you see teams kind of looking at what other teams are doing and what's working for them. If, if you're not looking at what the best teams are doing, you're, you're really missing an opportunity. Um, so whatever it is about our game right now, and you know, some of it is when we do have control of a game, I think other teams at the moment don't really want to take a lot of risks. They almost, some of them want to keep that game as close as possible as long as they can. You know, it's as much the other team playing into those blanks as it is us, as Kevin can attest to. If a team really wants to push it, they can, but you know, they also know that we can play that other style of, of aggressive play when we need to, you know, you look at Penticton last week, I think we had three, four enders and a five ender and a three ender in six games. So we're capable of playing that style as well. It just, this seems to be our forte at the moment. And, you know, I, I laugh a little bit. I don't spend a lot of time on social media these days for the most part, it's negative, but we've also talked a little bit as a team that every once in a while, we are going to have to play the, the villain role. You know, if, if people don't love the, our style of play or they don't love our personalities or they, you know, they find us boring or they find Benny too aggressive or, to be honest with you, who gives it? Yeah. <laughs> Let her fly, baby. That's part of it. Yeah. That's yeah. part of entertainment. you got a team that you love and you got a team that you hate. And if we happen to be the team that you hate, awesome. Are you watching the game on TV? That's perfect. That's That's all that matters to us. So. You know, we know, you know, perfect example, we're going to the Olympic trials, hopefully in Halifax in a couple of years. And 
you know, if you're heading east of Ontario, you know who the favorite's going to be. And so we may have to go into that building and, and play a little bit of the villain role. And, you know, if, if that's the case, then so be it. We'll embrace it and we'll, we'll blank all the ends there. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's like the old story of uh, say what you like about me, just spell my name correctly. <laughs> right? Let, let's talk about another rule that's, that's new, and that's a no-tick rule. What, what do you think of that at the moment? Is that working from your point of view? Is that serving its purpose, or has is, is it changed anything much? Uh, I, think, I think it has served its purpose. You know, I, Originally, I didn't love it because it eliminated a really skilled shot. Anytime you're eliminating a skilled shot in our game, you're, you know, some guys got really good at it. Ben Hebert, Ryan Harnden, um, just so many, you know, Lisa Weagle, the first one to, to really embrace it, Marcel Rock. Uh, so a really skilled shot taken out of the game. However, I think it served the purpose in extra ends and, and late in games that um, you're getting more rocks in play. There's more opportunities for steals if, if you're making some good shots. And I think that was the purpose all along was to, um, make it harder on a team that had the hammer later in the end. So from an entertainment standpoint and a excitement standpoint, I think it's definitely served its purpose. And I think teams have kind of dove in and embraced it pretty quickly. And it kind of feels normal right now, even though it's, uh, we've only been using it a short time. What do you guys think? I'd love to hear your guys' opinion instead of just mine. Kevin, what do you think about it? <laughs> Kevin, what's your opinion? I love it, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots more rocks in play. You know, I'm not sure it's going to make difference, Mark, as far as uh, stealing. It's just it's so hard to steal against the best players, no matter what whatever rule you make. But I think the shot uh, that the the team with Hammer has to make is more difficult now. And then that is fun to watch. You're making somebody like a Brendan Botcher or a, or a Guju or a, a Dean having to draw side of the button or at least full four foot bite button out wide or something. And I, I think that's really exciting for for the curling fans and and watching the best players in the game have to make good shots. That's wonderful. I, I think. Yeah. Agree completely. I've got something, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jim. <laughs> How come he didn't ask me my opinion on the tick shot? I don't, I don't know why that happened. I wasn't even sure if you watched curling. <laughs> I did watch curling. Come on. Al Hackner is my favorite. Is he still around? Yeah. Uh, a, a couple questions, Mark. Does Brad Gushu, do you think he's too outspoken about, he's been, you know, he's in the news here a lot. He's in the news year after year. He takes the, <laughs> he doesn't back down. Uh, he's controversial, uh, confident, uh, and outspoken. Um, is is he too outspoken? And and what's your take on that? Nope, nope, not too outspoken. Okay, we we need more voices like his out there from a player's perspective. You know, our our biggest weakness as a group of players is we don't have a a voice to speak on our behalf very often. Okay, um, and you know having played the game as long as Brad and kind of sharing a lot of his views. I think I appreciate it when he has the opportunity to speak up on our behalf and isn't afraid to do so. Mm -hmm. And typically when a, a guy with his experience and his resume speaks up, people listen, which is what happened in this case with the pan continental. And it'll probably result in some positive change one way or another. So nope, not too outspoken. And, you know, I've got a guy like that on my team, Ben Hebert. And <laughs> right. He, but, you know, I appreciate guys like that because that's, it's not my instinct to do that. 
So right. to have to be surrounded by guys like that that aren't afraid to really speak their mind, even if it means sometimes some consequences on behalf of all the athletes, I, I think we probably need more of that. So I think I, I appreciate a lot of the, what he said there. I work with two guys, okay, who are very, very outspoken. So the other, the other question I have is uh, several shows ago, we had on uh, Laura Walker, who was the first ever uh, athlete, curler, to be selected to Curling Canada, the first ever athlete to represent on the board. Uh, this comes at a time, I think, when last year was sort of a dean and these guys were getting together too, right, to start, to start some stuff. Uh, is that a big step, Mark, to, to where you, I, I know all you guys want, everyone has said we need more representation at the, you know, at the level of the curling board? It certainly can't hurt. Um, I, I mean, Laura's wonderful, and I, I know she can be outspoken and vocal as well. So I'm sure she will speak on a, behalf of the players and and help uh, move the needle from that perspective. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know the whole organization of the board and how it works and whether she gets a vote. I, I don't know all of those details, but little steps like that are going to make a big difference. The athletes need to have a seat at the table whenever there are big decisions in the curling world. And um, it's something we've lacked for a long time and getting that organization and, you know, getting the players to have a voice and uh, steps like Laura moving up there is, is probably going to help things for us. So. Good deal. Uh, well said as usual, Mark. Uh, good for you, man. Um, what do you want for Christmas? Name it, name it, man. I'll get it for you. What do you want? A grand slam victory. There we Jimmy. go. Very good. Okay. How about that one? Well, I'll have to watch that event, okay, since yes. I don't watch much curling. <laughs> well, yeah. That would be nice. <laughs> Mark Kennedy has been my, our guest, one of my favorites, man. We got history, and uh, you have history with this show now, Mark. We really appreciate you. We can tell through the interview how busy you guys really are and uh, taking the time coming on today to talk to us. Take it easy, Mark. Merry awesome. Christmas, man. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Warren. Thanks, Deb. Good to see you guys. Merry Christmas to all of you. All the best. Cheers. Okay, thanks, thanks, Mark. Mark. Same to you. Good luck. See you later. What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Jackpot City. Jackpot City, casino games perfectly made for you. So, Kevin Martino, you've been out and around traveling all over the place, uh, Alberta this week. You're up north to Grand Prairie and then down to uh, Erskine. That is all over the place, man. Uh, what have you been doing, Kev? What's up? Well, it's not exactly Grand Prairie, to be honest. It was Elmworth and the Mount View Curling okay. Club this weekend for a two-day Curling Academy with a like a banquet speech fundraising event. So it was absolutely fantastic. Biff is the ice maker. Gotta love it. Biff and uh, does a heck of a good okay. job. <laughs> and uh, sounds like a surfer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I tell you what, it makes a great sheet of ice, actually. And we, we started out um, on the Friday morning with a group of junior curlers from 10 to 14 years old. And then that, like, we were just going to do one junior clinic, but it filled up right away. So they put out another junior clinic. And this is a, this is, I was going to say a town, but it's not a town. It's kind of like a community, like a farming community. And there's a school and the curling rink, and then attached to the curling rink's a, a hall along the side. And then, and there, there's not really a town as such. So anyways, we, we've, so the first junior camp's full. And then they fill the second junior camp, for goodness sakes. Um, 
Uh, so then we ended up just having, like, talking to the kids, the, because there were so many kids, um, we ended up talking to all the extras as well um, before it started and, you know, stories about athletics and, and healthy living and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had a banquet that night, and he shoehorned everybody in there, had a heck of a fun night, of course, you can imagine. Uh, and then the next day, we had, actually did a stick camp, Jimmy, in, uh, in the morning mm. on Saturday, and then, uh, and then an adult clinic in the afternoon. Uh, just had a heck of a time, but it was a fundraiser. Well, they were going to do a fundraiser, decided not to, but ended up raising a bunch of funds anyways, because so many people came. Um, they bought a new scraper, and it, it cost quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, I talked to Monica. Monica and Carrie Puzlowski put on this event, and uh, there's still two or three uh, auction items that still hasn't been collected yet, but they've already raised enough to pay for the scraper completely. Okay. So um, they've, they're going to end up, I don't, I don't know where, like 13, 14, 15,000 um, money raised in this uh, two days in uh, in Elmworth, which is about a 45-minute drive from Grand Prairie. So absolutely fantastic. Good for them. Congratulations on an absolutely fantastic event. Um, Erskine, then I come home Saturday night from, from up north, and I had to run out and, and do some work with uh, Miles uh, Armstrong, Troy, and Dalen out in, uh, out in Erskine. And I want to tell you about this one. So when people are wondering, what, geez, how do we raise money at a curling club? Well, the, the Kevin Martin Academy did okay in, in Mount View with, you know, say 13, 14, 15,000 in, in, uh, in profit. But um, mm-hmm. Erskine, listen to this. This, I, I, I believe, was May. I'm using my memory again, which is scary. But they did a cornhole tournament. A cornhole tournament on the cement at the curling club. What? They ended up having over 300 people enter. And they ended up raising more than 25K pure profit. So then they decide, okay, we're going to sell the handles. Because it's a small club, a three-sheeter in Erskine, Alberta. And they end up selling the handles another 25000 pure profit. So in just a few months of fundraising and doing fun stuff, uh, over $50,000 raised for the Erskine Curling Club. What an aggressive uh, board of directors um, there. The, but young, young board of directors, very aggressive, not scared to try stuff. And uh, they've got a real tiger by the tail with this cornhole uh, tournament that they've got going. <laughs> and it's only two days, two, two, two days, two and a half days. That's it. Crazy. A PlayStation, okay, cost about a thousand bucks, okay, if you want to entertain your kid. So some guy says, cut a hole in a piece of plywood and get a rotten little bean bag and throw it through the hole. Okay? It's one of the fastest growing sports in the world. <laughs> Cornhole. Costs about eight cents, Warren. We do some of that, Jim. And, and it, but it's from the front of the board to the front of the board is 27 feet. Nine paces. So from the okay, hole to hole yeah. is like 11 paces. It's not easy. You got to throw the thing a mile. Anyway, uh, Warren, you got a call also uh, from Carson Schultz telling us exactly what sterling is uh, and as it refers to curling. What's that all about? Well, Carson sent me an email, and of course, we've been talking about sterling, kind of assuming that sterling was in fact fact, uh, two-person stick curling with six rocks, uh, etc., but he enlightened me that it's not quite the case. I'll just read here what he sent me. In picturesque town of Didsbury, Alberta, 
1998, Brian Dingman and Carson Schultz co-invented the two-person team sport of curling, initially dubbed stick curling. It later transformed into sterling with the addition of Gary Sherman to the team. The innovation stemmed from a realization that players using the stick could compete on an equal footing with traditional slide curlers, eliminating the need for diverse rules. Sterling, and here's what sterling stands for, a fusion of stick, that's the one S, or slide, that's the other S, and the T is for two-person team. So we have, from that we have sterling, S-T-U-R-L-I-N-G, which is stick or slide two-person curling, is what it all means. So that was something I wasn't quite aware of, the fact that this particular thing, sterling, involves people not just using sticks, but also you can slide in the conventional manner, which of course is a little different with the same principle being applied to the stick curling game, where it's the same rules, basically, but it, everybody has a stick. There you go. Yep. You're, this is your uh, foray into the podcast world, Warren. Are you, do you understand now how you can say a million correct things and never hear from anyone? but slip up and make one mistake, okay? <laughs> <laughs> poor Warren, they're on him like a show. You don't know what you're talking about, man. Let me explain <laughs> Sterling to you. So. Well, that's good he said me that because we've been talking about Sterling, thinking it was virtually referring to uh, two-person stick curling, but there we go. That's not quite the case. That's what it is. Kev, the New Floors Classic in Penticton involved a number of the men's top teams. You heard me tease it at the start. Uh, Botcher's team gets clipped. By Glenn Howard's team, but like I said, Glenn Howard wasn't there. What do you got, Kev? Oh, wow. There's lots of interesting stuff going on in the semis, uh, Jimmy. You, you're right. Uh, team Howard without Glenn, so Scott was uh, was on the at the helm, uh, ended up beating Botcher 10-4, so you're right. Clipped is correct. In the other semi, though, Jimmy, interesting enough, John Schuster without Schuster was taking on Matt Dunstone and Chris, uh, Chris Plies, skipping with uh, Matt Hamilton throwing third, clipped Dunstone eight to four. So then, now I, I don't know if they played like uh, three on three, six rocks. Right. I don't know what they're doing, but they, they played in the final, Howard against Schuster without Howard or Schuster, and Howard won five to three. So congratulations to Scott Howard and company for that big win. How would you handle, Kevin, if you had to get, if you sat out, the bear, the great bear, has to sit out. Your team without you wins 12-2 over another team <laughs> without without you as the skip. What are you doing? Well, you, at that point, you know where the weak link is, I, <laughs> I guess. Know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, there's one other bond spiel I should talk about, and that's Karazawa yes. over in Japan. Um, the women's event, Caitlin Law was in there battling away uh, in the semifinals. Um but in the final, uh, she ended up losing the semi. Uh, Unjun Kim out of South Korea playing uh, Iku uh, Kitazawa uh, and losing 7-6. So Kitazawa wins in Karazawa. That's tough, eh? Kitazawa winning in Karazawa. Tongue twister. Kim coming up in the silver medal position. And then Caitlin Laws uh, ended up playing Yoshimura in the bronze game. And Caitlin Laws wins 7-4, so picks up the bronze medal there. In the men's side, uh, Brad Gushu, hey, what a semifinal there. Brad Gushu playing Nicholas Adine. Brad Gushu, one down going home, picks up three coming home to win 6-4. And, uh, and then the Gushu taking on Hiato uh, Seto, is, and it wasn't a very good final. 7-1, to one, Gushu won pretty easily there. 
Um, Sato taking home silver, and then Nicholas Dean playing the local favorite, Morizumi, and uh, ended up beating him 9-3, getting the bronze. So Dean picks up the bronze, but a really good bond spiel over in Karazawa. Yeah, I think they were sneaky in their design to make sure a Japanese team was in the final, taking nothing away from the Japanese teams. <laughs> uh, Warren, why don't we roll right through this, and you can give us a couple of updates. Um, the Everest Canadian Seniors Championship in um, uh, Vernon, is underway, and then you can bring us up to speed on the Mixed Doubles Super Series event in Winnipeg this past weekend. All right, so as Jim has suggested, the Everest Canadian Seniors is on in Vernon, and that's, of course, for curlers over the age of 50. A lot of names from years gone by are playing in that event. Some I will mention on the men's side, Paul Fleming, Bruce Corte, Brian Cochran from Ontario, who is a former champion. On the women's side, Saskatchewan has won that event for the past six years. And this year, Nancy Martin is carrying the Saskatchewan Colors and is looking for their seventh straight title. The event started on Sunday. They're playing two round-robin pools of seven in each side, with, with eight advancing to the next round, and then that eight will break down to four for the finals, which will be taking place on Saturday. It's in the early going, but on the women's side, in the A pool, Nancy Martin, no surprise, is at 3-0. and oh. And on the B side, Susan Froud of Ontario is 4-1. On the men's side, in the A division, Paul Fleming, Nova Scotia, 3-0. And on the B side, Bruce Corti of Saskatchewan is at 4-0. Also, as Jim mentioned, this past weekend in Winnipeg, mixed double Super Series event. The number one ranked mixed doubles team in the world, Laura Walker and Kirk Myers, were in the event, and they did make it to the final where they ran up against the local Manitoba team in the way of Kadrina Lott and Bryden Stewart. And a bit of an upset because Walker's Myers, the number one team in the world, was defeated by Lott Stewart by a score of 7-6. to six. So that Super Series continues. And uh, interesting that the walker Myers twosome are still in number one spot in the world, however. Hey, Warren, uh, correct me if I'm wrong which is often. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> no, we'll be here all day. <laughs> uh, does Winnipeg hold the bragging rights to the largest curling club in the country? No. No, they don't. Okay. No, they actually, the biggest clubs in Canada are uh, Kelowna, I believe, and the Seville Center. Both are, are uh, Seville's 12 sheets, right, Kevin? Uh, no, uh, Savile's 10 and, uh, and Kelowna's 12. Kelowna's used, 12. So Kelowna's the biggest It club. used to be when we had the Briar Patch, Warren, in Calgary, that patch was, wasn't it two floors of uh, sheets? That Yeah, that was the big four building. There was 48 sheets of curling ice in that building, 24 up and 24 down. And there was a one in Edmonton, the Sport X, that was 24, all in one level. And actually in Winnipeg at one point in time, there was a 24-sheet facility that was kind of built on four fingers with six sheets in each finger. Oh, and, of course, that no longer exists either. No more big 48-sheeters. That, nope. that must have been a pretty good party, Kev, if 48 games of curling are going on one night. <laughs> uh, well, and those, those buildings are at one time were very busy. Very right? busy. I bet, I bet they were. There you go. You're up to speed on what's happening around the curling world. Thanks, boys. Great updates. It's time for Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, ZTRs, and compact construction equipment to do it coyote we dig dirt so as mentioned we're going to go right into the emails email number one my husband oh this this is not starting right <laughs> my husband and i have been avid curling watchers and recently taken up the sport of curling 
We listen to your podcast and find the information and interviews both interesting and entertaining. We often hear the comment that arena ice is different than curling club ice. Could you please explain the differences between the two, which is better and why? We enjoy your show and the conversational banter. That's from Pat and Rob Furminger. Uh, so it's not the first time we talked about this, but it bears repeating about what the big difference is between the arena and, and club. Yeah, it's a, it's a good email. Um, when you're watching TV and you're in the arena setting, you can kind of see everybody sitting down around the rink and, and the curlers on the ice just with T-shirts on, sweating like crazy. Uh, but if you go down to your local club, the, the air temperature, even if, if it's warm, it's still cold because <laughs> you usually keep it around the, you know, the, the 40 degrees, maybe a little bit warmer Fahrenheit, something like that. Whereas uh, an arena setting, you're, you're toasty warm. You're 60, 65, 70 degree Fahrenheit in the air, and that's a, a substantial difference. Therefore, you have to have the ice at a different temperature. So the ice is going to have to be a little bit colder in an arena setting, warmer in a curling club setting. And because of that, you're going to sand your stones more in an arena setting and not as much likely in a curling setting. So you're going to get that late finish. You're going to end up with the, because the ice is very cold, it's going to run a little bit straighter for the first half of the sheet, but then finish really hard in arena curling. Whereas in a curling club, the ice is a little bit softer because it's warmer and you're going to get more curl a little earlier, but not that great big finish. You're going to get more of a subtle finish. Which one's better or worse? Uh, that's, that's up to the curlers. Uh, both can be tremendous curling conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, in a curling club or an arena ice, and both can be horrific. <laughs> if, it's, if it's you know if it's not if it's not done right, um, there's no. I don't think there's any answer to which is better or not. Um, I really enjoyed arena play because you got that late curl. So once you catch on to it, um, it's really fun because you can make sure you get by the guard and you know it's going to break into the button or or break in around the guard. So it, it can be really really fun. Whereas the curling club, uh, it's a little more subtle. But a lot of times you have uh, uh, more club level players, and on uh, on arena ice, if you're not putting that uh, set a mini set or a set the rock back, you're going to crash on every guard. Um, if the people you see on TV, the tour players, are getting four and a half feet of curl, which is pretty standard, that's probably six six and a half feet to a club curler because of how they throw it, just a little different. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah. Anybody that has a chance to curl on arena curling ice, even if you just have a chance at a pro-am or, or an event like that, where you get a chance to just throw a few rocks, take it. It is different. Arena ice is not the same as curling club ice, which is better or worse. I don't think that's fair, but it's definitely different. No question about it. Yeah. I love watching curling games where you're right, Kev, where the rock just sneaks around the guard and then dives, you know, I, I love it when it, uh, Warren, what do you say? I think Kevin said it perfectly. I maybe mentioned a couple of things, and as he also had alluded to, the rocks in the arena setting have been sandpapered. Uh, in a curling club, they probably haven't. And uh, those sandpapered stones on that harder surface are going to react a little differently than what people would be accustomed to in a curling club. So that's something you have to be used to, a little more release sensitive. I think the other issue that can come into play in arena is frost, not so much an issue in a curling club. And that's going to be very dependent upon the building you're in, what kind of dehumidification system they might have, if they even have any. And depending upon what part of the country you're in, uh, frost buildup can also become uh, more of an issue within an arena than it ever is going to in a curling club. Kev? Hey, oh yeah, Um, doing ice in Japan. Tim Yo, 
uh, an old buddy of mine, and uh, we went over to do an ice making school over in Japan and then curl a bond spiel. They had no dehumidification uh, in the building. And I remember laying my jacket just, just on the carpet, you know, I'd throw it on the carpet. And when I went to pick it up, it was wet. There was so much humidity in the air that it actually would soak your clothing if you laid it on the carpet. That, like, you, you would scrape right before the game would start. And it was very nice ice for the first three ends or something. And then the frost would build up. And so it's a big deal. It was a beautiful arena. It was uh, Yakabiku. That's what it was, Yakabiku. Yeah, curling center in Okaya, Japan. Kevin, what about the, what about the water? Does it need to be treated to make curling ice? Does it make? Do we just turn on the taps at the city and off we go, or does it make any difference? Yeah, that's a great question, Jimmy. Actually, I don't know how you got come up with that. But um, <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> hey, hey wow. Warren, weren't you thinking that? That's actually yeah, a really good question. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, generally it is a, a deionized water and ions being mineral. And what what happens, unfortunately, in in water is that minerals travel from areas of high concentration to areas of low concentration, being the air. And so you're going to have that those minerals migrate to the top, and it makes the surface, the pebble, not real crisp, or even worse, kind of slippery under your feet if you don't have the uh, pure water. So, And, of course, with pure water, you have a lot firmer pebble, and you get faster and more predictable ice. So uh, very important to have pure water. Um, but there's lots of different ways to do with it, have mm-hmm. that occur with an RO system or a Jedi system or whatever the case may be. There's lots of different ways. But you must have it to make curling ice. Well, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to have to pebble with some sort of pure water. And as soon as you put like hot pebble on with pure water, the minerals just race into that oh, okay. pebble and then you can scrape it off. So there is a way to clean it, but you still need pure water, which you can use snow. You can melt snow. You know, for clubs that don't have the ability to bring in a, an RO system or something. You can still clean your ice and have good ice. It's just more difficult. Bouquet for Jim for the good question. Every We're going to start giving oh. out bouquets every week, Kevin. We, we you will, shocked us. You, yes, asked, we you will shocked us. You did Am shock I, me. Yeah. I, I go, who, who, how'd that? What, did Warren, did you text him? Am I that much hey, of a ask slug? ask Kevin this. Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I need the love. I need the love from the listener, Warren. Email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, we got another email. Uh, first of all, thank you to Pat and Rob for your question. I uh, hope that answered all of it. Uh, uh, Warren, we need you to give an answer for Deb. I think it's M- M- Menger, M-E-N-G-E-R. Menger. I look forward, Deb says, I look forward every week to hear you three and the podcast. Jim, love, love, love your humor. Oh my God, I'm on a roll. Oh You're my having God, a great having day. A, I, this is too and much. And I didn't make that up. I didn't make that up. <laughs> you talked this week about sponsors and how important they are. When you have a guest on, I have noticed that they never thank or promote their team sponsor. Is there a reason for this or an inside curling rule about promoting your guest sponsors? I agree with the email from last week. When I support a team or event, I try, I do try to use the sponsor and to support them. I live in the U.S., and will travel to Canada to watch events when I know U.S. teams are playing. I remember back in the day buying a case of beer from Rickers Red. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, toilet paper while I was there. I would like to see your guests take a few seconds to promote their sponsors. I don't know if it's something we've ever dealt with, Warren, or ever... 
insisted on or didn't? Or? Well, no, we haven't. I mean, I guess this is a pretty thin line because uh, in the broadcast world, which we're in, uh, we're a commercial entity. So as you know, by listening to our podcast, sponsorships are sold for our show. Mm. We're part of Sportsnet and uh, part of that entire uh, empire. So it's a it's a very difficult issue uh, for us to allow somebody to come on this show and promote their particular product. I know you'll see on television and they're wearing logos and crests that uh, have the same thing, their own sponsors, but it's a little bit different situation. And uh, we really aren't in a position probably to be able to let that happen. But I think Kevin's got a comment. Well, it's just years of taking media training. So um, when we were sponsored by Mars, uh, uh, Mars Canada and Rena Crumplin, one thing that we had to do was go into Mars and we had to do a media day um, every year. Mm-hmm. And what it was, was getting a question from a, from a broadcasting uh, or media entity and being able to swing it around to hit your talking point, whatever your talking point oh, would okay. have been, which was always about talking about uh, pedigree, food for pets yeah. or, 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 or uh, Uncle Ben's rice because that's who sponsored us way back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, so we learned to, and they, they would give us questions. They would pretend that we were being interviewed and they would ask us a question. And our job was to answer the question and swing around and make a, make a comment about what we were trying to talk about. And there's, there's quite an art to that, being able to talk about your sponsor without making people like Warren mm-hmm. mad, but also answering the question that's asked of you. It's not easy, but it takes media training. And that's something that we had to do a lot of when we were uh, when we were competing because our sponsorships were quite large and we wanted to make sure that, well, our sponsors wanted to make sure that the, the message that was supposed to be sent got sent to the viewers and listeners. Very important. Warren NASCAR does it better than anyone. You know, the, I drive the Tide car. They talk about the Napa car. They talk about... You know the STP car, and everyone knows who it is. Are we are we any closer, Warren? Do you think one day it might be not not Team Gushu, but Team Coyote Tractor? Oh, I think without question, as we uh, move into probably a new tier here, you're going to see that uh, becoming quite common. I do believe, don't you, Kevin? What do you think, Warren? Give me a time frame. Give me a time frame. You and I agree on this. We talk a lot. I know you agree. What do you think? I think you think in the next year or so, it's going to oh. probably become a, an, an entity. Oh, you guys know something we don't. I can tell right now. I can tell right now. <laughs> right? It's going to be Team Tim Horton and not and not Team Botcher. Okay. I think it'll be a name team. Will it have a sponsorship tied exactly in the name? I'm not sure about that. It's just it's just time. We've talked about it, oh boy, since I was young. I'm not young anymore. Um, so it's just kind of due. Uh, a year, That was that's an aggressive answer. I didn't expect to hear that one. I thought it'd be more like two or three years, but I think pretty soon. I think that's safe to say. It has to. We're still dealing with a lot of old, old stuff with curling. And I can go back to the briar of McDonald's tobacco, how they complained, completely owned the domain of sponsorship within the bowl. Mm-hmm. And then it got transferred to Labatt's. And we're still there sitting here today with the briar and Scotties that the players can have no identification of any of their sponsors in those events. And, you know, in this day and age, um, it can all be worked out, but you've got to have a willingness to do that. And uh, at this stage of the game, the other side hasn't had that willingness. It's the only entity out there in the World Federation, the Grand Slam, that hasn't broken that uh, door open yet, and that's Curling Canada. Uh, let me summarize Deb's email. Jim, I love, love, love your humor. There we go. That's all you need to know. There we go. Good summary of Deb's email. <laughs> Those were great emails, Jim. Yeah, really today. good emails. 
Keep them coming. He he wrote them. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Deb's giving me some love. I love you too, Deb. I'd love to hear more more emails like that coming in from the from our listeners. Oh, those are fantastic. Thank you very much. What are you hearing? Is brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. And I've always told you guys, I went and did it. Painless. uh, And it is free. It was cool. Drop in. There's one in the West End if you live in Edmonton. What are we hearing? As mentioned, we are hearing a lot of chatter this week on social media about Team Botcher. They're blanking a lot of ends. Some are saying it's boring. And others say he is not breaking any rules at all. And others say, who cares? <laughs> Warren, uh, it must be a nightmare, Warren, for organizing bodies, curling Canada, Grand Slams, anybody. to If, if they hear the word boring again with curling, they're going to go out of their mind. They've been living this nightmare for years and years. Uh, but now it's sort of rearing its ugly head about blank ends. And is it boring? Why don't you go first, Kevin, on this? Don't bore me. Brendan definitely likes to play the game close to the chest. He tries to get hammer and, and control the hammer tightly. Probably more than anybody else in the game right now. Now, can it get boring? They had a game against Joe Retornaz. I believe they, they blanked five or six. It might have been six in a row. And then, um, of course, Joel had to go after it and made a nice come around. Brendan has a tap for five, I think, in the seventh, which would end the game. Didn't quite make it. Steal, force, and return as one in the end. Um, it's a dangerous way to play because you're keeping the other team. I understand Brendan's thought of, of maintaining, keeping that hammer. But a lot of times, if you do that too often, you end up keeping the other team in the game. And, and it can make... In the end, you 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 get you lose by one in a really tight battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being said, besides that, I, I don't I don't mind the strategy though. I I I lived and lived a lot of years controlling the hammer. But um, one thing about it too, you you do want to take some chances once in a while to keep the uh, to keep the fans engaged. Right. I think that's kind of important. And it is it is an entertainment industry that we live in. I do understand it's important to win. And, you know, and Mark's point earlier that, you know, we're not, we're not making the money of an NHL hockey player. So we gotta, you know, we gotta win, but it's true, but, um, you want to make sure you keep those fans engaged with your team and your brand. Cause the whole idea of entertainment industry is growing your brand and you want to make sure you have as many eyeballs as possible. And of course, if you blank too many ends, the odds of the broadcast company showing your game decrease because of course. It's, it's a blank end. So those are kind of the things. I do understand Mark's point, though, completely. They are doing very, very well. So it's kind of hard to argue they're winning a lot right now. Do you say then, Kevin, before we get to Warren, do you, do you kind of slightly disagree then with Mark? Because Mark said, I don't give a hoot what you yeah. think, you know. By the way, it's great strategy to blank, and we're winning games, so go away, you know. Correct. They are winning a lot of games. and But the problem is... Um, yeah, I think he's. I, I disagree with Mark slightly. 
um, which I'll which he'll hear, and, and I'm sure he'll have something to say to me on Thursday when he's practicing. <laughs> Smash the front door of your store. But, but, that, yeah. but that's okay. That's okay. Hey, uh, no, but it's just I think it's it's a, curling is a business, in my opinion, and marketing is a very important part of business um, and making your brand grow. So I think it's important you want to have the fans as many as possible watch your entity and uh, blanking too many ends stalls that a bit in my opinion um there are times when you really want to blank an end though so you have hammer coming mm-hmm. home it's right. very important do it but boy over overall i think uh, you want to make sure you entertain that crowd it's going to matter uh, financially right. to you warren you got the last word on the show tonight today well thank you jim so this whole thing goes way back this goes back probably 35 years <laughs> in the 19 the 1988 briar in uh 89 Briar in Saskatoon when Pat Ryan, I think, defeated Rick Folk 2-1 to one by getting control of the hammer in about the second, third end, and then starting to blank every end after that because they had become that good. And so then where did we go? We come up with the three-rock rule, and we had the four-rock rule, and then we have the five-rock rule, and now we have the no-tick rule. And these are all aimed at the same situation of trying to be able to force scoring to happen. And here we are, these players have become so proficient that we still haven't got to the point where we can force them to play uh, uh, an aggressive scoring type game. I mean, uh, beyond that, there's only other things you can do, I believe, is like mixed doubles, you're going to have to have a preset situation with the house so that they are forced to play that way. But you know where the real problem started, and it's kind of interesting, in my opinion. You know, the game of curling was invented to throw a stone from a stationary position called a hack, which was originally a crampet, to a target about 150 feet away. And then we started to slide initially to the T-line. That's where the rock had to be initially released when you started to slide. Then they started to violate the T-line, so they moved it out to the hog line. And then through the 60s and 70s, there were varying rules applied to the hog line in an attempt to try to deal with this without really dealing with it. And finally, everybody threw up their hands in 1974 and said, okay, just let the rock go before you reach the line and you can slide as far as you want and there won't be any problem. Well, there was problems almost instantly. And to some degree, it's the fact that we are, it's, it's like a golf course that's got a par uh, five that was 500 yards and now that golfers can drive the ball 300 yards, so it becomes a par four. And then now they're up to par five in the uh, PGA, they're 600 yards and they're still making them into par four. So, because they let the balls and the equipment go, the holes are going to have to get longer. Similar thing here. Maybe if we increased the length of every curling sheet of ice by 30 feet, <laughs> it would make a difference. But I think it all started with the development of the slide applied to the sport, which was originally designed to throw the rock from a hack, stationary position, to the target 150 feet away. And we've evolved to the fact that players have become so good that it's hard to create a situation where they're going to miss. And I think that's part of the issue. What do, what do, what does... Or T-line, hog-line, or what does that have to do with blanking ends? It's the proficiency you're able to develop by the manner in how you can now deliver the rock, and you're getting 30 feet closer to the other end than you were if you were throwing the rock from the hack. Okay. I think I understand. So it's just, you've made the the game easier, is what you've done, in my opinion. My opinion only, Jim. Kevin, are you giving more in the last Hey, Jimmy, and then people... Hey, and then people come out and try curling. And they go, oh, man, is this ever hard? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs>
But it, it's against the golf ball. I mean, if, if they don't do something with the golf balls, and apparently they are now, and the clubs, hell, they'll be driving the ball 450 yards in five years' yeah. time. Right? It, right. It's funny right. you bring that up, Warren, because they are. There's a bunch of news this week. They're rolling back the golf ball. They're going to. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. Well, either that or lengthen all the golf courses. Yeah. One or the other. Well, the reason they're doing it is because <laughs> of real estate. So now they got to build a golf course sure. 8,000 yards. That's, I'm not being funny. Right, seventy five has been around a long time now. So now they're talking, Kevin. It's a, that's that's expensive, man, to start to build golf courses. So a squishy golf ball, I get in way less yeah, trouble. Would get, well, yeah. it's it's also a problem, Jim, to make every curling shoe device thirty feet longer. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I get it. Uh, Deb, you're smart. We want to thank our sponsors. We love them, and uh, they've been supporting us for a while. Jackpot City brings you what's happening around the curling world. Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline, who brings you in the house, our guest spot. And Hearing Life, who sponsors What Are You Hearing? Boys, that's a wrap. Have you done your Christmas shopping, Warren? I've got to buy your gift yet, Jim, and I'm 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 thinking about what it's going to be. I've got an idea for you. I'm, I'm going to tell you what. Well, whisper it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean to me anymore. <laughs> uh, we also want to thank rod paulson his company has been with us the whole way along thanks a lot rod your great work your company in-house strategies who does all our work on facebook the group and the page if you haven't done it check it out uh warren is very very active on that and loves to uh, hear from you inside curling at gmail.com we've lately been uh, using emails for one of our segments so don't be shy uh weigh in uh, again inside curling at gmail.com and thank you again, Jackpot City, Coyote, Hearing Life, Goldline, who make all of this possible. You know what, Kevin? Without you, without Warren, this wouldn't be possible. Thanks, Jim. Well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do a show and Kevin and I won't show up and we'll see how it goes. You know what you don't want to hear, Warren? The tape <laughs> that goes on in my head. Okay, you're getting the edited version all the time. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Curling. Oh, 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 oh. See you, Kevin. See you, Warren. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.